And here we are. It's Bosco, and uh, joined here to get in, as always, Zach. Hey, Zach here. And, uh, yeah, yeah. How you doing? Not bad. So, um, just yesterday we were at the Van Gogh Museum, the yeah. interactive, inter- yeah, it immersive some, Van It was Gogh some bullshit. Wait, 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 tell me what you thought of it. Some bullshit. It, yeah, I mean, I told you, I told you right from the get that when we got there, I thought it was. I mean, my expectations. I thought it was going to be like an actual exhibit, but turns out it was just basically just an Instagram trap. It was just like you know some place for you to take pictures at and post on Instagram and tag it and fucking yeah. It's it was. I mean, it was like a cool edited video project project ugh, projected onto this. Uh, you know, onto all these walls, but the thing is, is that, like, I don't know, it just kind of felt lacking a lot, you know, and, uh, for a $60 ticket, it's pretty whack, in my opinion. Yeah, so this was the, uh, Van Gogh, immersive Van Gogh exhibit, I, I think it's just a temporary exhibit in San Francisco, um, yeah, they were $60 tickets, I think the cheapest advertiser, what, 40, 45 for, but those were said that it was like the basic experience said it was sold out We're and it was sold out for the entire time. We're a little bit suspicious that, um, those tickets never existed. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and that they just put those there as being sold out. So you had the offer, the more expensive ticket, the most expensive one being about a hundred dollars. And pretty much we went in, I think with the expectation that it was uh gonna be like a a like like even just walking in you see it you're going through like a corridor and we were I think expecting to go in and like go through like a whole like hallways and in the different rooms and right. like maybe a little guided but like something that would immerse you in the life and times of Van Gogh and like do it in a cool unique style that's you know different. From museum to museum, yeah. and um, we get into the first room, and and it's cool, right? It's it's like all like the it was no it was no doubt a cool way of presenting it, but like that's like it was just a room, big room, four walls, and all the walls have like projections onto them. Fuck, I'm gonna drop my mic there, and all all of the walls have projections onto them, and uh, it shows like animated. Uh, versions of van gogh's um oh yeah it it's four walls big room projecting van gogh's art and it like moves on the wall and it was cool and it, it's a repeating loop of a video but and it was 35 minutes and we go walk in there and we're like this is cool this is dope and we watch for a little bit and we're expecting to, like, continue on, like, continue on to, like, another part of the exhibit, like, right. another room where there's another presentation of Van's Go- Van Gogh's works in probably a different way. Turns out that one room was with it? the 35 minutes animated slideshow was it. Yeah. It was cool. And I told you, it reminded me of that Pace Gallery light show thing I've been to, which had several rooms also. That one was a little bit cooler. It had a lot more rooms in it. And uh, this was just strictly one room. And I was like, for 
60 bucks, we basically paid for like an animated slideshow of Van Gogh's work, like a animated presentation. Yeah. I could have just watched that on YouTube um, and gotten the same effect. I mean, the room was cool. You can't de deny that, but for the price, it should have been like a $20 thing. It was like 60 bucks and it was 35 minutes. So you're basically paying like something like, like two bucks a minute, practically. And, and just to kind of, and there's no context given, there's no narration of it, there's no, like, explanation of why the pieces are ordered in the way they are, or, like, yeah. nothing, the only immersive thing about it was, like, you were just surrounded on all four walls by, yeah. you know, the, the work, so it was extremely overwhelming. Underwhelming. And underwhelming. Yeah. And, uh, pretty disappointing, and... You know what? Like, I think there's better museums out there. I'm yeah. gonna head, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Yeah, I'm not gonna trust uh, Instagram ads for uh, museums cult, yeah, at and least. culture and shit. Um, yeah. So Van Gogh Interactive Van Gogh Museum. If you've heard of it, if you've seen it, probably it's take not worth a pass it. Take on a pass. it. Yeah, go somewhere else. There's go look at museums. his art online, and you'll get the same effect. I mean, it's not going to be projected on the walls, though. I mean, it's cool, but for the price, if this was $15, $20 tickets, for sure, that'd be a little cool. Right. But the price it was at, no way. Yeah. No way. $60 for that, you're getting gypped. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. It was, uh, it was very lame. disappointing, yeah. So that's the one thing that happened to, to for us recently that we can bash... Yeah. An actual experience. There you yeah. go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, One to bash. Yeah. Van Gogh Museum. Put the hammer down on him. Yeah. Drop the hammer. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. It was like it's not to good. some grandiose yeah, music. Yeah, and it, was, it was made by some fucking jerk-offs. And it probably. really was an Instagram chat, like you said. It was just there to like kind of like, oh, take a few pictures and be like, cool, <laughs> If there was more to it in the museum, if there was more rooms that, like, did similar things of, like, you know, using lights in the whole room to kind of surround you with it, that'd be a little cooler. But this was, like, just one room, one 35-minute slideshow, and then thanks for coming, and their gift shop was super expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was not immersed enough to now want to buy, buy Van Gogh merch. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm going to level with you. I, on top of that, I also got some bad news yesterday. That what's up? I mean, it leads into one of my stories. Are you, okay, are you okay with that? Or let's go. All right. So my corporate slam piece this week. Um, I guess I should do an intro. Mm -hmm. Um, what is a slam? It is a dunking on corporations and their greed. Good day, sir. Uh, right. <laughs> so, uh, this week, um, I'm, I'm slamming more so, uh, I'm going to be talking about the Nina Turner, um, versus, uh, Chantel Brown race. And I know, I mean, you even said right before recording this, like, why should I give a shit? Um, it's not my representative. I understand it's in that a state that doesn't represent me. I understand, but it's a bellwether. It's a bellwether for progressive policy, policy politicians moving forward going against establishment Democrats, right? So even though, you know, it may not be your particular district, I also think um, 
it has a lot to say about campaign finance reform. So I'm in, in general this week, I'm not bashing any particular corporation other than maybe the establishment Democrats, but um, I more so want to focus on uh, campaign finance reform. Okay. Uh, so let's just let's just talk about. Um, so basically, like I said, I was very upset. Nina Turner lost. I was a big fan of hers because she was um, she was big in the Bernie movement. That's how I first got to know her. Um, she gives really impassioned speeches. Um, she's honestly a working class hero, if you ask me. I think she's. I think she's just she's, why. Just because she, she... Tell me a little bit about her. What makes her important? I mean, I mean, she, she's been a local politician. She's uh, fought for, um, you know, a lot of uh, good policies in her area. Um, like what? I don't know specifically, to be honest. Um, I Like I said, I really... I mean, she's... Okay, so she's been on the Cleveland City Council, on the Ohio State Senate, Um she has, you know, she's just been right on a lot of the issues, right? And this is like her first chance to enter the national scene, right? Mm-hmm. To enter national politics. Okay. And what happened was is that basically she had about a 40-point lead in her in, in internal polling. And um, what happened was is a lot of people are wondering, you know, are you know, doing postmortems, uh, of the campaign, you know, trying to figure out, um, what, 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 what went wrong, especially for a progressive politician like Nina Turner. Um, I also wanted to bring this up too, because she's been getting a lot of hate online because I think that the money power that was behind Chantel Brown, um, basically just, constructed all these different lies about Nina Turner that So um, this is this is in a primary race, right? Sean this is Delbert a prim- is prim- Democratic, Democratic primary race, right? Um and it's a blue district. It's a um right, I think okay. it encompasses uh Cleveland, I'm pretty sure. Um and uh yeah, um basically the I, I, I'm going to talk about Israel. Okay. I know, I know you're laughing, but I, it's, it's important. Um, if you want to know my personal, this is for Senate or for the house of representatives, for the house of representatives. Um, and, uh, the reason why I'm going to be talking about Israel is because Israel, uh, through, uh, the democratic majority for Israel, it's a super PAC, mm-hmm. uh, Funded about 1.8 million in opposition to Nina Turner in dollars campaign donations, um, and I think it's uh this is it's it's important to talk about because you know it's about how money influences politicians, right? One of the first things Chantel Brown said after she won is she wanted to thank her Jewish brothers and sisters, right? It's, it's clearly just showing the moneyed interest that supported her. You know, um, my, my particular feelings on the issue, if, if you're at all interested is that I think, you know, I want equality for the Palestinian people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not, you know, anti-Semitic. 
but <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm not, not saying you are. I just think that's funny little disclaimer yeah. leading into this. Well, you you have to because the thing is nowadays is that if you're at all critical of Israel, they want to slap an anti-Semitism tag onto whatever you're saying because it's against Israel, right? Because you may have some criticisms about the the way you know human rights violations and what have you. Um, so let's 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 get into it. So, um. This, uh, so let's, let's talk about Citizens United. So in case you don't know, I, I'm, do you know about Citizens United? Yeah, I know what Citizens United All right. is. So for those who don't know, uh, it was a important Supreme Court decision about campaign finance and free speech. And the decision was that free speech prohibits the government from restricting independent expenditures for political campaigns by corporations, wealthy billionaires, and PACs. And the point is, is that basically it, that means the thing with Citizens United was it gave corporations the power to can individually contribute to political action committees all, and they would become what is called super PACs, as right. in that a corporation is a, is an entity is an individual is thought of as an individual right. and, and that entity, individual has free speech yeah, through mo- and if that money equals free speech right? yes yeah essentially yeah um so like i said this uh this race is also important because it shows the division within the democratic party and that this was a race that was even though yes it is just one congressional seat um you know, one congressional seat can make a lot of difference. Just looking to um, recent news, Cori Bush. So I'm sorry, I was wrong. She was a House of Representative. She's a representative out of Missouri. Okay. And recently, uh, I don't know if you caught this, but there was this whole um, discussion about the eviction moratoriums. Oh yeah, going on. And yeah, there's I saw a lot of chatter yeah. on the on the uh, on the more conservative right wing side saying that Biden is trying to enact eternal. I saw the exact phrase eternal eviction moratoriums. Like as <laughs> I in, wish trying to I, make it so that it'll be forever impossible yeah. to evict somebody. So essentially free rent. Right. And um, <laughs> Cori Bush, she really needs to be commended because what she did, she's had previous experience with being uh, homeless and living on the streets. So as um, a way to kind of bring attention to this issue, because a lot of people in the in the Senate in the House they were called to recess. I think it's the Senate that was called to recess, um, if I'm not mistaken, because uh, I know Kristen Cinema was causing concern about having to stay um, and you know have more work time go into her vac. She's like, if it goes into my vacation time, I'm not voting. Mm-hmm. She sucks. Okay. Cori Bush, though, what she did was is that she she um, slept outside of the Capitol building, and she basically stayed out there um, kind of as a statement to bring attention to the fact that millions of, of people are behind their rent and that a lot of people are going to be kicked out, kicked out of their homes. So what happened was is... Um, this, uh, I think it was this morning, the CDC 
increase the eviction moratorium two more months, which is not going to solve the problem, but at least it gives more time for them to figure well, I out. I think that was a recommendation because the CDC doesn't have that power. Right, they recommended right. that. And then and Biden they... went off of that recommendation. Mm. So, um, you know, I think, I think that's a good thing. Um, I just think that there's going to be a, uh, a bigger issue going forward about how are we going to address all these people behind on their rents and, you know, what have you. That's another, that's another story for another day. But I think, you know, that's just one representative out of Missouri and she brought attention to this issue because there was a lot of media fever around the fact that she was out here, you know, kind of doing antics as they like to call it. But in reality, you know, she was protesting and I thought, and she deserves all the credit for that. You know, she really, she really did a good thing. So, you know, one, one representative can make a lot of noise, you know, a lot of them. Um, so yeah, so let's, let's get back into this. So, so like I said, um, the Democratic Majority for Israel PAC uh, in 2019 spent over $1.8 million uh, against Nina Turner, uh, almost more uh, than all other outside spending combined in here. I have a graph to show you real quick. See right here. Okay, so this is for... This is for the, uh, donations to this political campaign, right? And so you can see that that um, the uh, the Democratic Majority for Israel pack outspend basically every other pack mm -hmm. by a land by a by a long shot, almost all of, more than all of them combined. Yeah, and so uh, you know, it's. Uh, it's it's been rough because a lot of people have been criticizing Nina Turner by um, saying because she said that evil money support evil e money evil dark money but she was getting at the fact that corporate influence helped win this election because Chantel Brown was just a local politician no one real great but she got plucked out because Nina Turner is critical of the Democratic Party right. Um, one of the um, one of the attacks used on her were that she uh, she made a comment about um, about Biden uh, voting for Biden or voting for Trump. And she said, well, voting for Trump is like eating a whole bowl of shit and voting for Biden is like eating half a bowl of shit. So mm -hmm. you'd rather eat half a bowl of shit, but you're still eating a bowl of shit. And wouldn't it be nice to not eat a bowl of shit? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, and I think that's a fine, it's a fine comment to make, but you know, a lot of people are critical of her because she's, she has said this, um, you know, because there's all this, um, there's all this, you know, fervor in the, uh, democratic, um, what's it called? Uh, the establishment Democrats that, you know, that we want unity. We need the progressives to be, you know, un a united front with the Democrats and support, you know, moderate policies, basically. Um, well, then they wouldn't really be progressives if they were supporting moderate policies, would they? No, no, they, they wouldn't. But they, they, they have been... I, I'm not super critical of the squad as some other lefties are, but I think they're doing a good job. Uh, they just need to maybe not be so uh, 
there's this term called Washington brain, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's a lot of people, they have high minded ideas, but then they go to Washington and then, you know, they kind of get, they kind of buy into the, come on, let's get a, get, get, to, get along. Let's play together. Let's play nicely. Yeah. You know? So, um, Basically, uh, this same group spent about $1.4 million attacking Bernie in 2020 because of his support of uh, BDS, which is the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions movement that's uh, proposed to uh, uh, promoting boycotts, divestments, and economic sanctions against Israel to uh, move uh, to have Israel fulfill its obligations under international law defined as the withdrawal from occupied, occupied territories, removal of the separation barrier in the West Bank, and full equality for Arab Palestinians of Israel. Right. So that's that's what the, the BDS movement is. And I think I mentioned to you uh, the other day that um, Abby Martin, she was she was speaking at a at a college and the college made her sign uh, uh, that she won't uh, that she is anti BDS, which, you know, Abby Martin, if you're not familiar, like one of the things she's covered the most is the whole Israeli Palestinian conflict conflict. So of course, um, you know, she wasn't going to sign that. And uh, I think she actually won a court case um, about that. Uh, So Robert Kraft, is uh is one of the so basically the guy that owns the Patriots yeah the guy that owns the Patriots uh he supported Trump he donated about a million to uh, his campaign and other Republican candidates he donated about around twenty thousand dollars to Chantel Brown um a lot of conservatives are in this super PAC right so it's it's and a lot of conservatives have uh kind of funneled money. Th- through this pack to support Chantel Brown. Uh, you know, she says she's a Democrat, but she's funded by Republicans, you know? Um, well, people will take money anywhere it comes in from. Yeah, but... The point I think I see here is um, what's common um, in um, American pa- politics and systems of power, and that's... Money protects money and power protects power. So, mm-hmm. like, even though Kraft and other Republicans and, and certain PACs and super PACs might be aligned with the Republican Party and aligned with more right-wing issues, like, they look to to interfere with the other side by giving the other side, supporting them with money and power in order to protect the interest of other mo- of other money and pa- other sources of money and power. So uh, a, a pack that is pro-Israel, which is pro-Israel usually falls. I mean, it's it's the issue can goes across both sides, but it's typically supported um, by Republican aligned politicians and more right wing um, sources. And um, they basically, you know, craft coming in moderate Democrats too. Becoming involved is, um, yeah, I said it goes across both sides. Okay, sorry, I didn't hear that. Like craft becoming involved is, you know, it's just. It's just another way that that they all like look out for their own interests, essentially right. each other's interest, and like in turn, it's a system of protecting power, basically. Right. No, and I, I get that. Um, 
I guess my whole point of bringing this up is to is that we shouldn't like it shouldn't be okay in America. It really I know I know that it's like that's kind of an idealistic view of democracy, but I I wish that corporate influence wouldn't inf- wouldn't affect elections so much as they do in modern day America. You know, uh, five hundred thousand uh, toward uh, in support of uh, Chantel Brown came from a corporate astroturf group called Third Way. And astroturf, are you familiar with that term? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's basically a, a fake grass uh, grassroots movement. It's most um, like a, a good example would be like the Tea Party was funded by a lot of astroturf groups who uh, like the they were funded by the crafts. You know, not the crafts. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, uh, the cokes. Um, so yeah, so uh, she only lost by six percent, which shows me that it was it was close. It was it's pretty close. Um, but you know, like six percent. Yeah, six percent. As far as my understanding of in an election is is a pretty big margin of. It's defeat. it's it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Um, the. The point is, there was a low voter turnout for this election as well. Um, in this uh, in this area, uh, yeah. So the thing is, is that I haven't lost complete hope. You know, like I I do think that she'll have another chance to run and it'll be fine. But I just want to take a look at you know these Paul the, the reason why Chantel Brown was chosen by the democratic establishment is because she wouldn't be a boat rocker she wouldn't be someone who you know challenged the authority of the establishment dems and you know Nina Turner definitely would have and i think they were really they were really afraid of that and that's why they ended up supporting her i don't know um i just think it's a it's a, you know it's just indicative of the system we live in, you know, the the how political machines work and how, you know, corporations that money money wins elections, you know. Yeah, the like I said, the power protects the power. So, um, establishment Democrats, if you want to call them that are going to support and protect other establishment Democrats so that they're in power and in turn will continue to support the system that put them in power in the first place. You know, <laughs> it's just a, just the way it is, I guess. Yeah, but we shouldn't be all right. We shouldn't, we shouldn't just <laughs> be okay with it. You know, like we sh- like, like, how is this not like when I think about it, like, how is this not a bigger, like how, are people just okay with this is what I'm thinking. You know what I mean? Is it just that it's too big of a thing that you're like, what am I going to fucking do to affect it? Like, why are we just okay with politicians just engaging in outright corruption? I don't know if this is, would be considered corruption. This is just, I mean, she, she, she got, you know, 1.8 million from, you know, that basically, uh, funded all of these attack ads on Nina Turner, lying, saying that she's against Medicare for all, which, uh, as 
someone who was a big fan of Bernie's platform, you know that's not fucking true. Uh, she was a. F- uh, it said that oh she's anti against raising the minimum wage. She's against uh, uh, changing legislation. Uh, I forget the other thing that they they wrote on there. But the point being is that they they. Now, where I will criticize the Nina Turner campaign is that I don't think they went hard enough against the Chantel Brown um, candidate because, look, she had an uh, this Chantel Brown had an ethics probe because she gave favorable construction con- uh, contracts to um, her her boyfriend, who's a you know a contractor, and you know that's. You know, she was facing uh, this ethics probe, you know. So, you know, it's it's just shady. It's just it's just shady. And, yeah, you know, I was a fan of Nina Turner. So, yeah, of course, you know, I was going to bring this up because of that. But, you know, I think it's something that we kind of should keep in the back of our minds when, you know, uh, expecting a certain politician to win, especially if you're more, you know, left-leaning like we are, um, I think you just keep in mind that there's a lot of there's a lot of big moneyed interests that want to protect power, like you said. Yeah. So, you know, just keep that in mind. All right, I'll move on to my next story. So, uh, I brought I, I was thinking about doing this one because I, you know, I I know it's something that's close to your um, close. To, to you and something you care about, uh, Zach. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's about a lot of these anti-homeless legislations that have been going on. In particular, let's we're going to look at uh, some LA uh, some LA ordinances that were signed into uh, effect last week, I think, and about how cities choose to deal with their homeless problem. So. <clears throat> New LA ordinance prohibits any sitting, sleeping, or storing items on pl- public property. Right? Votes, uh, but it's called anti-camping. Anti-camping uh, city ordinance. Okay. It was passed in Santa Cruz while we were living there. Right. Right. You were telling me about that. Yeah. 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 And um, you know, uh, so basically. What the what the legislation says is that circumstances where uh, where votes would be needed and they would take every encampment situation by situation and vote on whether or not to clear them out. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, except in these cases, if the tent is near a fire hydrant, if people are sleeping within five feet of a building's entrance if tents are obstructing the street or bike paths, or if tents are blocking the sidewalks. There's also another one. I don't know. Maybe that's all certain to L.A. Another one that's actually somewhat important is um, no camping within, I think it's 100 yards of a river. I don't remember the exact mm. um, measurement of it, but you can't be on the riverbed. And that's actually important because um, homeless camps do build up a lot of waste and rivers lead out to the ocean. It pollutes waterways. Totally. And I'm not saying that, you know, we should just be okay with all of these encampments and all that stuff. But what I'm saying is, is that just by forcing them to move is just putting off the problem until later. 
you know. Uh, Once an area is approved, signs are installed followed by a public 14-day notice. And you know, uh, there's there's been a lot of uh, a lot of criticism of this bill, of this ordinance, because um, there's not enough shelter space, and also they didn't provide any places where they could camp, right? So all these people, I mean, I showed you that video. Um, I sent it to our group chat where it was the video of the cops with ARs forcing the people off of Venice Beach that mm-hmm. were in camp there. And, you know, I I personally feel like we need to fund more shelters. You know, I understand that not everyone's going to want to go into a shelter, you know, mm-hmm. but we need to put more funding into that if we're going to be forcing these people off the streets. We need to give them an alternative, right? We need to give them a viable alternative. And I don't think just, you know, clearing them out because, you know, if you ask like a lot, a lot of like right leaning people, they just, they want to just like, they really just want to get rid of them. They just want to get rid of them. They don't want to think about them. You know what I mean? Uh, it's kind of inhumane personally, I feel. Um, but, you know, as someone who worked with the homeless population, I'm really curious to hear your point of view on this. All right. Well, Look, working in but with both the city and the county of Santa Cruz, I've seen all kinds of different viewpoints on this um, from both ends of the extreme. Um, a common thing I heard repeated in Santa Cruz, and I'm sure it's the same in L.A., where obviously it's a much bigger city, so there's a lot more homeless people there. Uh, homelessness is a problem in San Jose, um, you know, so it's not a subject or it's not an issue that we're alien to it's it's around us it's in our backyards in some cases you we've been over to friends houses and literally you can see uh, behind the fence homeless people camping in the in the area behind the fence if they're backed up to like the guadalupe river a lot of times what i've heard county and city workers say is like they essentially play games of Mm whack-a-mole and you you a camp pops up somewhere a lot of trash is created, and especially when, when a camp gets bigger, um, it can be a source of drama and mm-hmm. uh, in the town. So it's like whack-a-mole. You get rid of one camp, eventually Another they'll, pop, they'll up. pop up somewhere else. Um, if you remember, you weren't living in Santa Cruz at the time, but uh, for a couple a couple years, just, just a couple years ago, they had the Ross camp located behind, uh, called Ross camp because it was located behind uh, the Ross on uh, where the 17 exited onto the one highway right. one and was right near River Street. That was a massive camp, right? It was so big, it could have had its own zip code, honestly. Okay, like there was hundreds of people living there, and the camp was pretty filled with a lot of drama. Like I said, there is ODs would happen there, violence, petty crime sexual assaults from time to time it was like not a pretty sight and i had gone through there a couple times just out of curiosity um and it it really looked like a shanty town like you would if you just took just a picture of that and showed it to somebody and said what country do you think this is in you would probably not guess america right away it looked like some type of shanty town some type of slum 
it was really a sight to behold. And I would hear two stories from people that had lived there about like there was infestations of roaches and bed bugs and people were sick a lot. This is pre-COVID time too. And um, very close living quarters, lots of mud in there too. Um, biohazards from piss and shit. So they eventually did put porter hot porter potties out in front of it and tried to and trash everywhere. They tried to bring in dumpsters. It would all end up getting overflowed. And, um, so it was like very, very bad conditions, very poor conditions, but obviously people are living there because they feel like this is like, they don't really have a lot of other choices. That's where the drugs are. Like, to be honest, right. a lot of people living in this spots are on drugs that's where all the dope is i would hear stories from people that um emergency workers would refuse at a certain point started refusing to come in there because they thought they were endangering themselves going in there and so that if someone was ODing or something bad was happening they would remove the person to the parking lot the ross parking lot and call emergency services over there you know so eventually the, the it wasn't even the city that or the county that cleared it it was Caltrans the state Caltrans that controls highways because it was so close to highway 1 Caltrans came in and was like nah fuck this clear this out they came in did the whole operation fenced it off it took up days a long time weeks practically and uh but nothing was done to address the greater issue. All those people were just sent back out onto the streets where another camp would begin to form in uh, the San Lorenzo Park, right outside the, the county building, the county courthouse, and, you know, basically the seat of the county in Santa Cruz. Um, you know, and, you know, people would go to various places. The Pogonips also was popular. And... <clears throat> You know, what I saw and what I worked with during the pandemic was, um, you know, they it was like their best answer to what this what the city and the county could provide, which was like a a camp in the San Lorenzo outside on the on the riverbed far enough away from the water, though. And um, essentially it was put there as like a covid emergency camp. And it's, you know, so that they could make sure that people were being distanced properly because obviously homeless people are not really going to be all that concerned with their health. You yeah, know? and it was in, I actually saw this camp and compared to some of the other states I've seen, especially uh, <laughs> uh, Vegas, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you saw what they did, what their version of that was, but they basically painted a bunch of parking spots and had people they had like little like little bedrolls in these little parking these little parking spots to mm-hmm. you know ensure but they didn't even have an enclosement and think about how hot it is in fucking Vegas they're just fucking yeah. laying on the goddamn asphalt baking alive yeah so yeah this was a at least we tried our yeah. best to keep things clean to keep people distance to enforce some of the covid guidelines and like people were pretty respectful of it and tried to be considerate when we reminded them you know but like a lot of these people are not like very compliant with with every with all things considered covid aside they aren't very compliant with everything else in the world so just 
you know, COVID, I kind of think they were like, that was like one of the last things on their mind or just, it was just, they just didn't really care a lot of times, but you know, to you, the problem right now, especially in California is I think this was a federal order. They're not, they're not allowing camps to be dispersed. Same thing with evictions, because the idea is if someone's sick, you want to have the ability to quarantine and you want to have the ability to shelter in place or whatever. Right. Hence the eviction moratorium. Yeah. And, and so the idea with not clearing the camps is if we're going to clear, keep clearing these camps as they do, you know, when a pandemic isn't happening, you're basic, but you're basically spreading out people more and more and the risk of transmitting COVID becomes higher. So that the idea is like, it would be better to have, people living here at a sanctioned camp where we can enforce some type of guidelines and and you know try and keep people safe without having to move them all over the city day in day out you know and have the battles with police obviously people are going to resist people are going to get arrested um right you know and this is a problem here in san jose too like uh there was the reason i was hearing recently about the airport in san jose has a huge camp outside of it that's airing on the side of becoming as large as the jungle, which oh, um, yes, the I jungle was in the early 2010s, a camp one underneath, of the largest um, homeless encampments in all of the U.S. Yeah, and yeah. Um, it was underneath 101 um, and 680 interchange, I believe, or somewhere around there. Right, and um, and that one that one was massive, and it, and they kept trying to shut it down, and people would keep coming back. It's a popular spot again, filled with all the common problems that a homeless camp has: violence, theft, um, drug overdoses, um, and just general unsanitary conditions. And they ended up coming in there and putting giant rocks. Um, all around so that it was impossible like unless you're like a rock climber <laughs> to get through Damn. you know and that just people couldn't get through with all their stuff uh, essentially okay. and outside the airport the FAA the federal like flight administration the federal agency called like told the city of San Jose that they have to dismantle or to get rid of those camps right. because it's becoming a flight risk yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is just this problem is endemic in a lot of ways and it's not contained in just california i no, think something like- to remember is people will look at california cities la the bay area santa cruz and like be like oh California's failing and that's why it's like this. That's homelessness happens around the nation. Right. It happens in every urban major area. The thing with Santa Cruz was Santa Cruz was a bit of a microcosm right. of these problems. And Santa Cruz has dabbled in all sorts of anti-homeless legislation and, and, from the anti-camping And let's be honest, a lot of people were directed towards a lot of homeless people were directed towards Santa Cruz. That's what I've heard. Right. Um, that's what. That's at least what yeah, I've heard. That's what I've heard too. And when I worked with the city, where working with the county, I worked in a in a in a organization that was a, with the Department of Human Services, a more social, community based organization part of the county. So the people I worked with were a bit more sympathetic. When I worked with the city, we did Parks and Rec, and our job was to go out there and basically try and clean up abandoned sites. But the people I worked with there were a lot less sympathetic. And right. so I saw two views of it. The city, 
on one extreme, the people I worked with in the city were kind of like, oh, these people are criminals. They're freeloaders. They're just causing messes. They don't give a fuck who they hurt. They don't give a fuck how much they're damaging our town. And they just want to, you know, they just want to have the freedom to do whatever they want, camp wherever they want, piss and shit wherever they want and get high all day, you know, whereas so that's one extreme that I've heard. And I understand those people's frustrations, too. Like, it is, like, when you look at these situations in Santa Cruz, walking down Coral Street, walking through the Pogo Nips, walking, seeing Ross Camp, seeing it on the levee, you know, you are kind of like, what the hell is wrong here? Like, what is happening? You know, and of course, there's the other end that, like, is a much more of a a viewpoint like a... uh, Oh, you know, these are human beings, which of course they are. And every yeah. human being deserves to get treated with respect and dignity. But like, you know, sometimes I felt like they were a bit complacent and um, inept in a lot of ways. They didn't okay. they didn't act in a more direct manner. You know, they were like very easygoing where I, I think the important part to confront homelessness, it needs to be a community based outreach initiative. Right. The. less policing yeah and and you know the attacking them going after them like they're criminals calling them animals and savages isn't it's not helping anybody it's making everybody angrier it's making the resentment grow stronger but at the same time like i felt like there should have been a bigger push from the county to start getting people involved in social programs to to get people involved in in drug counseling to get people on pass to get reacclimated to society in the ways they see fit. I've talked with plenty of homeless people. Some of them do see it as a lifestyle choice, like as a rejection to society in the greater world. Okay. You know, and I partly respected that and thought that was interesting. Like this is like them rejecting but, okay, living in the real world. Let me let me pose this to you though. Hmm. Do they reject society because they feel like society doesn't give a shit about them? You know what I mean? Like um, I mean, it, it would be different across the board. A lot of things I would hear is a lot of them would be like, I don't, I don't believe in 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 money. I don't like money. I don't want to make money. I hate spending. I hate consuming. Which was one I always found interesting: a rejection of economy and money itself and finances. Um, other people kind of saw it as like just an outright rejection of society, mm-hmm. you know, just like, I don't want to participate in modern life. I don't want to go to work. I have the freedom to choose. This is okay. America. I have the freedom to choose how I want to live. And I don't want to go to work. I don't want to have a 401k. I don't want to fucking do this and that. Okay. I'd rather choose to but live what, this life. What about the victims of circumstance, though? I mean, of course, those are there. There are those people, and what there needs to be is the opportunity. If you are in that situation and you want a way out, which I think most of them do, most people want to be comfortable. You know, the people roughing it and have kind of come to accept that. A lot of them have been on the streets for so long; they've kind of just accepted it that as that's their life, and they've embraced it Mm -hmm. in order to not be so miserable. Rates of suicide among homeless people are very high, though, very high, and. um and, uh, you know, I, I think that there should be more clear paths to, to, to social programs and, and better outreach overall. Yeah. Drug counseling. I think, uh, we need to, uh, have more subsidized housing, especially living in an area like we live in, in San Jose, where 
I mean, we live in one of the most expensive housing markets in all of, all of the U.S., yeah. even the world. Yeah, more... I mean, the affordable housing is going to come after. For a lot of these people, there's a lot of steps before the housing. I understand, but <laughs> I'm saying that no half measures. We need mm. to we need to attack this problem. Because yeah, it needs to be a step by step process. Right. Get people into shelters where first off they're safe. A lot of homeless people are not safe. A lot of talking with them, hearing from them, people on the streets are scared. All 24 right. 7. You're afraid of violence. You're afraid of getting robbed. You're afraid of getting sick and dying. Okay. There's, so the first step is, is creating some type of safety for these people. Safety right. and to reduce that anxiety, that hopelessness and the constant fear that many homeless people live in. Cause if you are stuck with hopelessness, fear and anxiety, you're going to be yeah, drinking you're not gonna a lot. Go anywhere. You're going to be drinking a lot. You're going to be doing drugs. You're going right. to be losing your mind. Oh uh, yeah. You know, I so just, the first step is creating some type of safety. We need to create the framework of, like you said, a way out for these people. We need, but we need to not just like, not just do the shelter. We need to build it fully out. We need we need all that stuff. We need drug counseling. We need the shelters where people feel safe. We need, you know, honestly, we need socialized medicine. That would do wonders for a lot of these people who are uninsured, mm -hmm. you know. Well, they do have access to a lot of times. They A lot of them are on Medi-Cal. Right. And so they do have access. And there is in Santa Cruz HPHP, which did a lot of good work. Um, well, that's good. And but so it was, they did have access to some type of right, but that that might not be the case medication. for you know people, you know homeless, unhoused people in different areas, you know. Yeah. And you know, I just I think uh, I think a lot of people just kind of want them just to just go away. A lot, you know. A, like, yeah, and that's the idea with the anti-camping ordinances and stuff. It's just it's not. It's not a solution. It's more of a trying to push the problem out right. of sight. They don't want to think about it. They don't yeah. want to see it. And, you know, it's kind of like they want to be, like, out of sight, out of mind. But I think we need to we need to address this shit because it's, it's, it's happening a lot here in California where we reside. But it's happening, like you said, all over. And, you know, I... I see a lot of times, you know, me personally working in, you know, the mental health field, a lot of the a lot of the clients I work with probably would be homeless if they weren't, you know, if they hadn't, you know, got access to medicine, access to, you know, psychiatric treatment, all that stuff. So, you know, I I I have a lot of sympathy for them as I know you do as well, and I just I I hate seeing people kind of just otherize them and just kind of see them as like an albatross on society that we need to get rid of and just kind of force into another corner to where we don't have to deal with them on a daily basis. And I think we need to, you know, we need to address that. And it's important because especially, like I said, with this eviction moratorium, who knows what's going to fucking happen because there's going to be a lot of people who the rent's going to come due and, and a lot of people are months behind on rent and you know that might increase the ho the homeless population by by a mm. lot you know so i think this is something to keep your eye on you know um and you know uh i have a little bit more sympathy towards homeless people i think is the message i wanted to bring with this with this story is because a lot of the times i feel like 
a lot of times homeless people get referred to as it or, you know, like just like as, you know what I mean? Like kind of de- they kind of dehumanize them. A mm-hmm. bit. People tend to do that. And, and, and it's not going to be easy either. Like home, the homeless world is, is a rough place. And a lot of these people have adjusted to that. A lot of pe- these people spend a lot of time incarcerated and have adjusted to, to violence and, and just that, that rough and tumble oh, are, are, are you saying that they chose violence? <laughs> they adjusted to it. Yeah, yeah. It's the world that they live in. Right. So a lot of times for the common person, middle class, whatever, walking down the street, you know, you might uh, see a homeless person yelling at you for no reason. And you're like, oh, that person's, you know, out of their mind or crazy, whatever. Like that's a lot of times it's. It, a lot of it is homeless people feel unseen. It's a combination of things. So it's it's a lot of it is a defense mechanisms. So the reason um, a lot of homeless people might seem so abrasive and so rough is like that's kind of the world that they live in, and they have to act in that way in order to survive. Yeah. So and this is coming from the for, the the former mayor of Santa Cruz. So mm-hmm. I never lose an election. <laughs> the Israel Super PAC has nothing on me. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's go into our shame our shame segment. Um, there's a couple people. All right, so it's time. It's that time to bring some shame upon folks. Shame, shame on you. Shame, doopy doo. Shame. That's the name of the game. We had shame. Frank Sinatra Jr. in the studio today. No, that would be more like, shame, how do you do, shame, shame on you. Anyway, so, all right, so. Is Frank Sinatra Jr. Uh, we wanted to shame the baby. The baby. The baby. The baby. Um, yeah, we want. Legendary wanted, rapper, the baby. The One of the most memeable rappers. Um, I want to start with that question. Why is the baby so memeable? I think it's just the name. The baby? Yeah. I think There's it's literally just the name. It's a grown man <laughs> covered in tattoos. Is, yeah. Who came out and he's like, I'm the baby. But he yeah. doesn't, like, it's not a character or anything. He is who he is. It's like, just that's the, the nickname he likes, I guess. You know, I, I was having a thought about it because, um, if you know, um, sometime last year, there on, on the, the baby subreddit, there was no dis- it's supposed to be a subreddit dedicated to talking about the rapper about the musician and it was like purely just centered around making it bordered on a little bit of racism and yeah, it was just no, no, centered no, no. around it, was, it had more than just a little um, bit of racism in it it's centered around just like making jokes like like I remember one the first one I saw or one of the first that I saw was like what <laughs> and I was like let me see what's going on over here was it was like hey guys Today I was uh, at the store and I saw a black gentleman there, and immediately I'm like, "That's the baby." So I go up to him and introduce him myself to him. Tell the baby I love his work, and uh, uh, to my surprise, can you believe this is not the baby? <laughs> yeah. And that's what I learned that there are other black people out there other than just the baby. Yeah. And I was. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so, like, it's, it's all the weird. jokes it's... were centered about that. Him being like, "Let's go." Yeah. It, it's, I pulled up. <laughs> it's, it's 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 weird. I don't understand. 
Um, I think it has something to do with him, though. Like, why is this not something that happens I think, to I think, other rappers, I think, though? I, I think it's literally just his name. I don't even think it's all that deep. I think it's just because it's da ba- duh with a duh. Because duh. there's a oh. low baby, and no one gives a shit. No one's low making baby. memes yeah, about yeah, low no baby. Reason, yeah. But duh baby? I don't know. I Maybe, it, you know, uh, but that's kind of beside the point. Let's talk about why the man deserves some shame. He deserves some shame because... He's ignorant. Yeah, yeah. He made some real homophobic comments at Rolling Loud in Florida. I think it was last week. Um, mm. And, yeah, he... Ooh. He said, if you're gay, like, you have AIDS. He's like, uh, put your cell phone louder. Put your cell phone in the air. If you ain't got one of them deadly trans, sexually transmitted diseases like HIV that kills you in two to three weeks, put your cell phone in the air. Which is a weird, weird comment, joke. and then yeah. and then he proceeds weird to go on to make all things. Aside. Then he makes proceeds to make a comment going like, "Put your cell phone, put your cell phone in the air if you ain't sucking a nigga's dick in the parking lot or something. Put your cell phone, cell phone in the air." And I'm like, "What?" It was directed at men. He started by saying, "Women, if your pussy, pussy smell like water. water, if your pussy smell <laughs> like water, put your cell phone in the air." <laughs> I, do you think he was just fishing for something to say while on stage to get the crowd worked up and he just got ahead of himself? Or do you think he's just, I just an ignorant fool? I think he's literally blabbing. just, I think he's just an ignorant fool. I think there's honestly, I think there's a lot of homophobia in hip hop that still kind of lingers around. You know, yeah, we got Lil Nas X and we got, you know, more, uh, you know, gay people in rap. You know, and funny enough, the bonfire pointed out the point that some of them even dress so flamboyantly that you know, people might consider them consider them uh, homosexual. But Damn. you know, uh, I, I I think he was just man. He see the thing the thing that that really got me is that he kept digging the hole deeper, right? So he went on his Instagram and then he was like to make a half-assed apology, right? No, no, before that he Bef- got dropped from Rolling Loud, right? Uh, he got dropped from a lot of... Uh, I'm not sure if he got dropped from Rolling Loud specifically, but he got dropped from many festivals around uh, the, you know, the, the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, the thing that he, he said afterwards is he was like... Uh, he, he was on his Instagram. He's like, and my gay fans ain't even like that. They, they, they fancy. They classy. They be sucking dick in, the, in a hotel. In a hotel. Is that really place. what he said? Yeah, that's literally what he said. He, like, doubled down. He said, no, no, no. See, my gay fans, they ain't sus. They ain't, su- they ain't sucking dick in the parking lot. And it's like, bro, that is the most ass-backward way of trying to... And then <laughs> uh, and then he came out and he'd be like, I've, I've been educated in the, the, homos- the plight of the homosexuals. And now I understand what I said was wrong. And it's just like, okay. Oh, he's just backtracking. To make a comment about AIDS and HIV first and then follow it up with a comment about gay people also, he seems doesn't, he really, doesn't, like, out of the times. Like, yeah. he's, like, really out of touch. That sounds like something a, a van, TV evangelist would say in 2005 yeah. or hell, maybe even today. Well, but, I don't like, think making, the evangelist would be talking about pussy smelling like making, water. <laughs> making that connection. They were if they're one of their, with one of their underage prostitutes. Oh, yeah. Anyways, but, yeah. um, like, making that equation from AIDS to to home to gay people is just 
like such I feel like an outdated like <laughs> line of thought which it's really definitely just makes like me a, think a, he's massively ignorant. It's definitely <laughs> like a, like a 2007 take. Yeah, even prior to that, you're yeah. in like 80s, 90s. Yeah. Like this is yeah, such and also like, and also outdated. you know AIDS isn't a death sentence anymore. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean it, it, you know there's there's a lot of truth. You know, so his understanding of AIDS is lacking. You and know, even if it disease. is, like, why would you want to, like, even if it was a death sentence, like, why would you want to mock somebody who has, yeah. a, like, you don't go around mocking yeah. people with cancer. What if that person was your fan? What if <laughs> yeah. one of them, what if there was a fan with, with AIDS? AIDS? And he's like, I mean, I'm sure there is. There must be at least one or two. There must have been. Right? There must be at least a few little baby fans <laughs> yeah, with so, AIDS. So, yeah. Like, you know, but you don't mock somebody if they have cancer. You don't go around yeah. being like, if you got cancer, don't put yourself on in the air. You're shunned. No, in the like, oh. That's so in weird. The, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's, uh, it's really out of touch. You know, uh, obviously... We don't agree. That's why we're shaming him. I think he's massively ignorant and massively yeah. dopey. To go yeah. back to the thing about why he's so memeable, I think without people kind of pi- like saying it outright, like everybody had picked up on this fact that, like, sure his music's cool, he he's he's got a good flow, all that. But like, I think everybody kind of picked up and were like, yeah, this guy's kind of a dope. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this guy's kind of a dope. He's like a little bit clownish and a little bit ignorant, and I think he's just exposing himself even deeper. If like that was already the assumptions being made about him i mean he's only been famous for a couple years at most you know but like i i want to talk about a couple other videos i've seen of his so right, go on there is one that i saw a couple weeks ago where i guess there is these guys in some city somewhere they're selling like secondhand like candy bar cigarettes i don't know oh i saw selling, i saw yeah. that one yeah they were and, selling um, a fr- they were selling uh gushers yeah they're selling gushers they like offered him i don't exactly know what went down but they like offered him some at like you know a marked up price right and then he was like how much for the whole box and they like told him like I don't know. I guess, you know, they're just trying to make a quick buck. So like $200. And he's like, that's not $200. That's $60 at most. You know, the guy's got millions. He's a successful rapper right now. Contemporary. And he thought it was funny. Yeah. And then he just kind of like mocked them a little bit. And like someone who's supposedly coming from like, uh, you know, a city where that might... I don't know where baby's from, actually. I think he's from the South. Well, baby came from Mama and DePapa. Oh, well, that's had, true, but, like, the city... They had DeSex. baby doesn't understand that yet. Yeah. Okay. Give him some The baby doesn't understand. <laughs> he's too young for that. Yeah. He's still a baby. He's still a baby. Uh, but, he's no, from he Cleveland, was, Ohio. He's from Cleveland. Okay, yeah, like... Yeah. So, you know, it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, I feel like he should at least, like, be a little bit compassionate to people in a city that were, like, you know, in the in a plight that perhaps he was once familiar with or knows people that came from I don't know the baby's background but like that video he could have like maybe told them hey you know like your prices are outrageous but you know what I got tons of money here's 500 you know instead he kind of just mocks him tells him he was gonna give him money and then like and then it's like no you guys suck and like gets on the bus and like whatever takes off I don't know no he gives him like he gives him like a small amount of money for just like a couple like a couple packs oh yeah yeah and it's just like well he was saying something like I would've bought the whole thing if you didn't tell me like a certain price or something I don't know yeah and it's just for like someone with so much money who should be like maybe somewhat sympathetic to those dudes out there you know Hustling. Yeah, like he 
Like, <laughs> it just seems like he's ignorant as fuck. It's just yeah. an example of his, like, the baby massively is ignorant. The retard. And, like, out of touch, immediately out of yeah. touch. Yeah. As soon as he comes up, immediately out of touch. Yeah. And like probably was always ignorant. Yeah. Or there's another another one. Someone pointed this out to me. We were watching a the baby music video. I think it was for the song "Going Baby." <laughs> you know that classic "Going Baby" by the Baby. <laughs> and the the music video opens with a clip of him like boarding an airline, or he's telling a story. And he's like, "Yeah, we were trying to board this airline." And uh, we were on first class, and we're feeling cool. And on there, there's a there's a woman. And she has a little dog, and the dog's, um, the little dog is, I don't know, on the, on, on, in a space where he thought he should put his bag. And the lady was like, can you please put your bag on the ground instead, instead of my dog going on the ground? And he was like, and he was like, he's like, bitch, this is Gucci. I can't put that on the ground. And she was like, I don't know, they argue a bit more. And he's like, forget first class. I'm flying private. You know, it was supposed to be back to his big, Oh, gotcha moment. I'm so wealthy. I don't even need your first class where there's a little dog taking up my bag space. I'm going private. And I was watching the video with my friend and she was like, she was like, cause she was enjoying some of his music and then she watched that and she's like, I don't know if I like him anymore. And I was like, why? And she's like, that's a really weird fucking thing to say, like to be so materialistic and so silly about a dog when you can just put your bag on the ground like come on yeah. <laughs> like he just seems like a very like out of touch someone got a lot of money someone gave him a lot of money and he's ignorant now and he like just kind of parades that ignorance around i guess and that silliness around you know so yeah he's shame on you to baby he's a goof he's a goof he's an ignorant goof his music's all right. Yeah, he's the baby. Little. What can you expect? Can you you, you expect? gotta expect him to be a little. Do you think, do you think on his cars he has a uh, like that baby on board? Uh, Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in a few years the baby can graduate to the toddler. <laughs> Become a little bit more enlightened. Yeah. Maybe in many years we'll have the professor. <laughs> oh. Okay. All right. So yeah. So sh- shame on you, the baby. Shame. <laughs> the baby's gonna come after us now. Yeah, he's gonna come after us. He's gonna us. hear this. Him with his baby army. He'd be like, "Let's go! I'm about to go baby on you." So I'm about to go baby on you. I'm about you. to go baby. Um. All right. So what else you got? Um. Well, the other person. This has been on the uh, on the internet. Uh, traveling through the internet. Uh, recently, it's about this guy Chris Chan. Um, and this had come up because. Chris Chan. This lady, Chris Chan. Lady. Sorry, they're a transgender person, although I'm suspect about that. I have my, I have a couple of theories about Chris Chan. So Chris Chan is arrested. Uh, hold on, I want to just put a little bit of a disclaimer here. It, what he's allegedly arrested for, his alleged crimes, are pretty gross, pretty disturbing. Very disturbing. So, yeah. yeah. With that said... Chris Chan is is arrested under allegations that he sexually assaulted his senile mother. His mom is in her 80s and possibly has dementia or Alzheimer's. I don't know. Dementia. She's out of her she's out of it though. She's an elderly person who clearly needs help and the allegations right now are that he sexually assaulted her. So very gross, very disgusting. But I had seen this come up and I was like, how do I know this person? Like, I have, I like, I was like, I was unfamiliar with it. I just saw this come up online. 
on the various timelines. And I was like, I fucking know this person. How do I know Chris Chan? So I looked into this person, Chris Chan, and they are in the, there, it's a 40 year old transgender woman. person. So man originally who became a woman, I guess, I don't know the extent of their, uh, transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they've gotten like operations or if it's just like they grew out their long hair and like dress in drag or whatever. Um, but, um, turns out they've been on the online and had an online presence for a long time. And I'm talking like since the early to mid two thousands and Chris Chan was originally discovered, um, by various image boards and message boards in in the mid two thousands. Because he was, like, he's autistic, I believe. And he was, like, posting and documenting. And he's very sheltered, too. I think the dude's autistic and very sheltered. Spent a lot of his life online. And was documenting it. And he had, like, weird fascinations with, like, Sonic the Hedgehog. Mm. I don't know what it is about Sonic the Hedgehog, but for a long time... And possibly still. It's a very weird community. It's a very weird and sexual community. Very oddly, creepily sexual community of like people fixated on Sonic the Hedgehog. If you just take a cursory look on DeviantArt and just Mm. Sonic the Hedgehog, you'll you'll find some shit. They always say to type in your name, the Hedgehog. So like for me, it'd be like Zach the Hedgehog, and like see what comes up. (laughs) And and, uh, it's always it's always a laugh. so, um, Chris Chan, uh, he became like this internet phenomenon because people found his, his fan art and his fanfics about Sonic the Hedgehog and, and there's a whole wiki about him. There's multiple wikis. I'm just looking at, I'm just looking at Zach the Hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's a whole wiki about him and because people like found him and, they refer to him as what they call a lol cow, mm-hmm. where it was like somebody who's so cringe. He's like an early version oh, of like online see, look, cringe. You type in Bosco the Hedgehog, you just get some hedgehogs. Mm. <laughs> well, <laughs> too obscure a name. Yeah. Oh, you get this. Me. You get this thing. This is, that's a weird thing. You can type in. I don't know. You can try typing in Alex the Hedgehog. See what happens. You'll get a lot. Probably. Oh yeah, probably. Anyway, go on. But um, lol cow. Lol cow and. Uh, because people saw he's like an er, one of the earliest forms of like a cringe, cringe meme yeah. online where like people would just follow him and his post and his life that he was heavily documenting online and follow that and just like basically cringe at it and laugh at it. Mm-hmm. And there was like an interesting video I saw a while ago about like um, I think it was posted by the YouTube um, commentator ContraPoints and she was talking about cringe I believe it was her and she was like this is like an example of something like people can look at this person and be like thank god that's not me I might be a weirdo I might not be all there I might do strange things or not be super successful this only did good self esteem (laughs) but like this was like the epitome of someone you could look at and be like at least I'm not that guy so, anyways, moving on, over the years, I guess, he became, like, he was always kind of, like, sexually depraved and had, like, a weird view of sex and women, probably because he was such a weirdo that he was obviously immensely sexually frustrated, like, immensely, and, like, would become fixated on certain women and, like, harass them, and I heard um, in certain in a certain situation, I don't know if this happened more than once, but he would, like use it as his outlet he would like drop images of him having sex with the woman that is his 
he has a crush his on paramour. and then send it to yeah. them. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and be mm-hmm. like, see, I took out my sexual urges in a healthy way. Very creepy. And, um, yeah. So the guy is in is 40, pushing 40, and is immensely sexually frustrated and extremely sheltered, probably doesn't have a woman, stable woman in his life ever. Her life. And, um, okay, I'll don't, try to refer to my... Don't, yeah, just well, here's, here's my theory about this. So... They, I'm gonna go with they. Okay, they that's, went that's on. Better. They went on a uh, a what they were calling like a qu- love quest or okay. something. They Weird. called it that themselves, a love quest, where they were set out to find a partner, a woman, and what like like a follow up mission or some mm-hmm. shit. Yeah, like this <laughs> became their quest to life. They needed a partner. They needed a, a woman in their life, and. They were determined to do this. Oh god! So this is where this is is where I've heard some theories, and I believe this to be true, that Chris Chan used um, transitioning as a way to try and appeal to lesbians. (laughs) That they transitioned from a man to a woman, right? In order to try and because obviously their old shtick wasn't working, and so they transitioned. And remained being straight, but now obviously they transitioned, so now they're a lesbian, hoping that transitioning they could appeal, because obviously it wasn't working with the straight women, that after they transition, they can now go and appeal to lesbians. I think most lesbians probably saw right through this, or rightfully weren't interested one way or yeah. the other, as most women obviously they, weren't they, interested they, they, in this they, guy. they are not very good looking i'll just put a put that no out there. i mean they, like yeah. look let's describe him he's big he's they. chubby they, they are big they're chubby they've got long untamed hair and big old double chin and yeah. like possibly man boobs or possibly boobs implanted oh, yeah. in <laughs> they look rough yeah it's um you know, uh, they're they're not attractive, unfortunately for Chris Chan. But you know, that's not a death sentence in the dating world. You know, you can be not the most attractive person and still like you know have plenty of partners. You know, that's not the end of the line. But I I think a mixture of his, especially since they began transitioning, and a mixture of their weirdness, their complete social ineptitude, their um, lack of any and sheltered sheltering leading to any lack of life experiences like has just completely stunted their growth and in turn their sexual life so in the lead up to this it seems like they Chris has never had any type of job I believe they're what they refer to as a neat a not the acronym not in education employment or trade you know, it's it's a designation that goes that's directed at certain people who I believe it was created by like the government. Um, certain people who are just considered like a burden mm-hmm. on on resources, as in they they don't they're not in they're not in education, be it you know school up to Although, college or post grad. Uh, you, you may disagree with this, but even even uh, someone who is looked at as a burden, I think, should still receive government. Um, governments you know uh sure because help. a lot of times those people that are in that situation are physically or mentally disabled in some way right you know um so the question i guess becomes how how disabled mentally is chris chan 
Which right. I'm not going to be an armchair psychologist and say, oh, he's fine. He obviously has got... I mean, if you're going to go out and do something as heinous as sexually assault your senile mother, you're probably a little screwed up in the head. Yeah. Um. So I, th- I believe that he, like, had kind of become his mother's care... Their mother's caretaker and uh, was kind of, like, siphoning off... Uh, their mother by like you know the the mom is receiving welfare social security the th- benefits an elderly person gets when they can no longer work and you know still need a source of income and it, it looks like they were chris was trying to siphon off funds and you know just kind of abusing any benefits that their mother is receiving there's one video i saw online where chris would chan was trying to like pushed like these products they were selling online and like they got their mom to sit there and be like please buy these blankets and then and then they turn to their mom and they're like tell them tell them to buy the high expensive objects too tell them to buy the high expensive objects too and she kind of just sits there with like the this dazed look and she's like yeah please buy our blankets and he's Pudding. like buy the high end <laughs> objects she just said banana <laughs> <laughs> and then he and then he, they they finish off by being like buy the high ticket items too and uh, so it just seems like there is a lot of like exploitation and abuse going on directed from Christian towards his senile mother. And it culminated in what I believe uh, this culmination of him being this weird Allegedly. online online figure. Oh, no, that's not a legend. That's true. This, yeah, <laughs> a weird online figure with whatever autism and mental disorders he has mixed in with this weird love quest that he's got going on obviously all a failure across the board aside from having the attention and this spotlight on him online but it's not helping him in his love quest culminates in him becoming massively sexually frustrated and i guess directing those frustrations onto his his senile mother and um he was caught in a recording or something like someone had called him and recorded him where he like admitted it admitted it and said some very gross things on this and he's been arrested now and um so he's awaiting trial and we'll see what happens with that what do you have to say about that i don't know um if i'm gonna be completely honest i'm not really like i i think he's just like he's just a weird dude or their weird person, and, you know, I just, I'm not really, I don't want to say, like, I'm not really interested in it, but it's just, like, it, like, in, I, I kind of see, like, you know, viewing him as a low, viewing them as a low cow is, like, kind of mean. Yeah, you know, you know? I, I've it's never like, really and, ta- partaken, like, I'd heard about this years prior, but, like, I never really took part in, like, online mockery. Yeah, and, I, don't, and, I don't like and, that shit. Like, cringy cultures that go too deep in the one person's right. life it just feels mean-spirited at a certain point right and you know um a lot of people have different views on cringe mm. you know because they could you know pick like you know some feminist talking about stuff and be like oh look at this cringe feminist you know what i mean um but with this guy i i just think that this guy really just documented his uh his kind of spiral into you know being more and more mentally ill, what that mental illness, who knows, but they, uh, you know, they just spiraled and I, I just think that, you know, I I think that it just, I think the one thing you can take from this is that 
when someone's deprived from affection or deprived from love, it can drive people into weird spots. And I mm-hmm. think that's the case with Chris Chan. Yeah. Because they, you know, were looking for some love. They were on a love quest or whatever. And, you know, I, I think uh, I can kind of understand that a little bit. I can sympathize, but do you think internet culture plays a role in driving his descent oh, yeah. into what his oh, final yeah. I'm crime sure, I'm is? I'm sure there were people, you know, provoking him, egging him on. Yeah, send send him, send them the the what was you said he sent? What did he send to his uh, crushes again? He would like draw pictures of him having sex with them. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure his his audience pushed him to do that and, and there's seeking... been reports of him like harassing women too yeah and stuff yeah yeah and so this person might not be a good person but it's definitely creepy and i you know but the internet kind of like i guess gave it a platform too and i don't know if they outright encouraged it but they enabled it in a lot of ways yeah. internet culture so i don't know it's a it's a it's a weird story but um it's gross it's gross yeah and honestly it's i don't creepy. really want to i don't want to think about it anymore. it's creepy <laughs> it's, gross. it's gross yeah all right if well, you if you are know anybody that might be in a position like chris Chan, please get them some help yeah please yeah <laughs> they need it even if they refuse they need it <laughs> all right let's go on to let's go into our last uh Last little uh, Last topic. topic. So, uh, so I heard you wanted to talk about uh, some dreaming. Yeah. So and- this, this I figure we'll have you know because instead of the outright conspiracy theory or mystery of the week, I wanted to have a little bit of a conversation because uh, a couple weeks ago you had brought up this idea of um, on on TikTok this trend that is called reality shifting. Yeah. And um, I looked into it a little bit, and it seems like what's going on is there's this trend. It seemed to have started among Harry Potter fans. <laughs> yeah. Where, like, um, of course, kids online, and like this is popular within a certain age group and demographic, mostly teenage girls. But I mean, I guess it could be applied to anybody. But like, these fans of this idea of reality shifting would try to. Um, Try to like through like enter entering a meditative trance. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. Although mm-hmm. they believe they're really entering another reality, okay. or some of them do. Will like try and enter the Harry Potter world and like go and attend Man. Hogwarts in particular, so they can like pine after Malfoy, Draco Malfoy. Man, there's <laughs> yeah. so much thirst for Malfoy. <laughs> and, I swear. And, uh, and um, but I looked into it, and it seems to me like you know so. That person who wrote, um, you, you remember that like that early fan fiction oh, where yeah. it's what like it's like my uh, immortal, my, yeah, my immortal, yeah, or something like that, and it was like <laughs> it was all like about a weird Harry. It Potter was all about fanfic. like uh, I'm not I'm not Harry, I'm vampire, <laughs> yeah. and then like the, like she she, she was a like uh, a wizard taking Draco Malfoy to an MCR concert. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was just it's so it's it's yeah. It, you know, it's worth a look if you haven't seen so, it. It's cringe. It doesn't just exist in the Harry Potter fandoms. There's a lot of fandoms. Anime's a big one where people will try and enter the anime world. So I, it made me think about this thing because there's not that's pretty much the gist of it. 
Um, some of these people might just realize what it is and it's just daydreaming. Yeah. And other people insist that they're really entering another reality. There's like a whole process for like you're supposed to start with like writing down a script of your desires. Like you write down your script. Oh, I want to be this person in this dimension, Harry Potter world. And I want to, you know, do this and that. And you're supposed to like lay down in a certain like supine position with your arms and legs spread out and envision your 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 other reality along with your script until you start to enter this reality until you've shifted realities right um but it made me think of like other other things like this you know um i think there's a big connection with it to lucid dreaming so one thing it made me think of is like um is in regards to myself is is daydreaming see growing up i used to be like a big daydreamer right like i never really admitted it because a lot of times it was embarrassing but like i wasn't like trying to shift realities but especially when i was a kid you know through middle school too and even into high school the scenarios would change but like when i was a kid i would have like daydream a lot about like being in the being in a pokemon master and having pokemon battles i used to think about that all the time not just not being a pokemon master but just having a pokemon friend yeah i always thought that would just be you know i I really wanted that to happen and and as i got older you know like in my high school years and, and later teens like i would my fantasies would turn more into like scenarios where i'm like super fucking cool either i'm a rock star or like i have some talent that i don't have oh, in the real speaking world of which i have a funny story to that sure so i um i had a lot of like reoccur i have a lot of reoccurring dreams just in my life i mm. i seem to sometimes hit a loop um and in uh high school i would always have these dreams about coming back from summer break and just being, you know, like ripped or like I dunk and then, you know, everyone would love me or uh, one particular one was that I was going to learn. Um, I was going to learn the guitar and then just I would come in cool as shit and just p- start playing Hey Foxy Ladies and then all the girls would be just be oh, swooning That was always me. one for me that I would like suddenly learn how to sing very well. Way better than I do. Yeah. Way better than I ever could. I see you! You know, and I can play guitar. Down on me! Foxy Lady! And I would start a band that would quickly rise to international prominence. And yeah. like these are just like daydreaming fantasies that I, you know, would have... Yeah, see, my, mine were more so based in reality, but it was more so like me having a skill, like not taking it to well, that degree, it, but more so just having a skill that w- would make girls like me. Uh, yeah, no, as definitely as I got older and, and older with it, my daydreaming turned to like more realistic scenarios, but ones where like I was still like a better version of myself, a more likable version of myself, a better I version. I mean, you are very unlikable. And so I would break through that barrier and become more likable. And, um, and I say this as your friend. And I would, <laughs> I would, you know, just this was all daydreaming. And, you know, a lot of times I think, I don't know. And, and I would find uh, later on, I would find like online communities like centered around daydreaming. And I would realize, oh, shit, this isn't just, this isn't just me. Like other people, daydream a lot too so i'm not a weirdo mm-hmm. or at least maybe i am a you little know, bit you know but- it's you know it's one that i would always do like when i would when i'd be awake it was kind of a daydream but i was convinced that i had some latent um force powers like from mm. star wars mm-hmm. and then i'm like you just gotta tap into it and so i would literally just like i would look at like you know something on the edge mm-hmm. of a desk and i'm like 
I just like put. I just like <laughs> come on, Telepathy. come on. Yeah, no, just like use the force. Use the force. Use the force. Use Do the it. force, Bosco. Do it. <laughs> um, and so, so stuff like that is kind of what this reality shifting reminded me of. I think like. You know, when I was younger and online, obviously the stuff like now because of the way the nature of TikTok and the medium of TikTok, and it doesn't just exist on TikTok. I learned it's common. There's other websites that have reality shifting uh, communities. Um, but like, I don't know. You ever, I was on the internet from a young age, like nine, 10 years old. And, you know, at this age, nine through like 15, you know, I'm hanging out on like, you know, image boards and forums and and whatnot host on like let's say like angel fire or whatnot and there was always like a big culture there mostly probably kids around my age but i thought it was like all older people trying to like give me some wisdom like people would talk about how they did telepathy and how you can become yeah that's what this reminded me of like you would just focus like harness your inner energy and can use telepathy or pyro pyrokinesis like you could just no. harness this power or levitate you know so like this isn't like, i'm convinced if you new. had if you had any power in the world that you would use it for bad I i'm just i'm convinced to get convinced. laid obviously yeah. <laughs> but like this is it's like not anything new and i've seen these trends i've did you have been an, a part of them myself been did, a party to them myself did you have an imaginary friend as a kid um not necessarily like a straight up imaginary friend it was more just like just imaginary scenarios where like people i knew in real life would like me a lot better than than they really did i had an imaginary friend it was a cloud and his name was dream a cloud nice it was a cloud and his name was dream and he was my buddy (laughs) and i'd be like can you believe this shit cloud yeah that's very innocent and uh pure (laughs) yeah yeah i remember that i remember that or no yeah his name was dream yeah i said that yeah, uh, and uh, I think about that. I mm-hmm. think about that sometimes, you know? I mean, I think all kids, you know, even up through teenage years, like, play with their imagination and daydream and like to, like, think they can conduct, like, you know, have some secret powers that, like, you know, nobody else is aware of or they've got some secret power line Yeah, little do they know that you become an adult and then you yeah. just start to hate life and then you just I- realize it for the, um, you know... I mean, like, when I was younger, too, I would, like, read about spells online, spells and rituals, and then I'd try and do them in real life, you know, like, um, some of my favorite ones included ones to try and fast forward time when I had to go to school, and then, like... Haven't you watched Click, and haven't you learned that fast forwarding through, through time only leads to ruin? You miss out on the beauty of the little moments in life? That's what I learned from the movie Click. By the way, hidden gem. Go on. Um, so, yeah, the... I just think it's it's something that's uh that's always existed among young people. I just think because, like I said, the nature of of how the internet is now, it, like the trend becomes more caught on, more people can catch on to it, and there's like a face to this. Like when you would when I would read about stuff like tele telepathy or one of the things I wanted to bring up in regards to this, because when I started reading about this, I'm like, isn't this just astral projection? Mm-hmm. Have, have you ever heard of astral projection? Yeah, uh, it's like, it's when you, like, use your mind to, like, transport yourself into another area, right? Yeah, I guess that's, like, the gist of it. It's a, it's, a, it's an idea that's existed for a long time, right. as far back as, like, that's like ancient a, times. Well, I know that there was, like, that whole, there was, like, a whole, like, uh, 
like government program where they were trying to see if they could get people to astral project. And you're thinking of the remote viewing thing, but the it's remote a similar, viewing, yeah. It's a similar idea. Um, all, all these are connected. They're all like esoteric ideas and practices that, um, for example, astral projection has been has existed a long time. A lot of times, it was considered in the ancient <laughs> world. It was supposed to be like a, a religious practice. The okay. idea is that you have an astral body, which is think of that as like your soul, okay. something that's in between your physical body, but still contains your consciousness and theory. your intelligence, okay. and that you through very ardent and and strenuous meditation well you become very relaxed that you can like reach this point of of trance like enter this trance where your astral body can leave your physical body and enter what they call the astral plane the astral plane is like an entire different world that's somewhere between the afterlife and the physical world okay you know and so that you can enter this and kind of like I don't know. Explore it. I don't know what you're supposed to do when you get there. Get closer to God, I guess, yeah. in the ancient world. And in modern times, it's supposed to be more of a meditative All right. thing. So that was like the first thing I thought of when I saw this. Although a lot of the people online that are very committed to this insist it's not astral projection. That they're actually physically switching their consciousness into a different reality. The people that really do believe this, you know... Um, like astral projection. A lot of people are dissatisfied with life. Doesn't well, surprise that's, me. That's yeah, it's a form of escape. What what I think it is is like astral projection. What it is is supposed to be like very in depth meditation, a meditation that's so intense that you can like let go of everything around you, everything physical, let and go kind of your physical form. Yeah, and enter like a hypnotic trance like state where you're in an otherworldly ethereal realm that you can you know transcend through and like you know receive i don't know wisdom or just you know relaxation or some whatever something esoteric that i don't know okay and, very descriptive uh, and um but you know it's a cool idea i've never tried it but i would see people talking about this online too back in the day it wasn't called reality shifting nobody ever really i never really saw the term reality shifting so what are you getting at I'm not really getting at anything in particular. Um, I'm just having a conversation about it. Um, the other thing that I that it made me think of is like a, the the other idea here is um, lucid dreaming. Right. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced lucid dreaming. I, I've I've gotten very close. I've gotten to. Um, I have uh, actually. I kind of have a bit of a you know. They say like, oh, you know, one of the things I always heard was like, knock on a door frame whenever you enter a door frame so that when you're in a dream and you knock on a door frame, you'll know that you're dreaming, right? Um, so, I've, I've had it I've had it in certain um, circumstances where uh, I'll be in the middle of a dream. A lot of times, like, I'll, I'll just have like a random dream where I'm in a relationship with some random, random girl I've come across in my life. And, uh, a lot of the times I'll, or like, I'm like, you know, I'm having like a, like a cool sex dream or whatever. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And, uh, and then I'll have to pee. Right. And I'll go to the bathroom and I'll pee, but I still feel like I have to pee. Right. But then that's when I know I'm dreaming. <laughs> that's when I know I'm dreaming because I have to pee. 
right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, oh shit, this is one of those circumstances where I, because I keep on feeling like I, the need to have to pee because in real life, I have to pee, mm-hmm. right? So, wh- like, literally, I'll just be, I'll just be like pissing for like, you know, like ten minutes in the dream or whatever, you know, I mean, for a while, you know, it's been uh, times where like I'll just like keep, I'm like, man, I just can't stop feeling the need to piss. But it's because I had to piss in real life, and I'm like, boom, lucid dreaming, and then I usually, I, then I usually just come out of it. I never I, really stay long. I so okay. I had a friend in high school who was trying to tell me he was trying really hard to experience some lucid dreaming, and I guess he'd read read this strategy online, and he was trying to explain it to me. He was like, either like. He, he said, like, you use a Coke can, right? And he's like, you stare at the Coke can as you're falling asleep. You're not holding it because you got to be super relaxed. And you stare at it and you keep just focusing on the word Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. And then eventually, as you drift into this state of being half awake, half asleep, the image, the Coca-Cola will begin to, the, the words, the letters will begin to shift and morph into something illegible. And, um, you know, you could do this with like, uh, he said he would use the Netflix logo a lot and that, that you just hyper focus on it, but also kind of like let go and relax. Seems like this guy needs a and hobby. Just, <laughs> and just focus on what's well, kids things. That's, I guess the point here is like, this is just like, they're fun ideas and like, yeah. it's a way of trying to You know to what's just, a fun idea? Getting a job. It's just. Going to work. It's just a way to kind of, I guess, toy with your consciousness and toy with like dream states because honestly what this reality shifting seems to me the way it was the process was described it seems like they're trying to induce some type of lucid dreaming okay you know but without outright saying it and even though they'll deny that you know an astral projection is a little bit a step above lucid dreaming in terms of like if you believe it as this esoteric practice it's supposed to be a very meditative trance Mm -hmm. that can like yeah lead to things like remote viewing or what or you know getting closer to god or whatever it is. I've also I've lucid al- dreaming feels like it's just just more for the fun of it, just to yeah. you know have a weird dream where you have some agency in that dream. Right. I've never experienced it. I'll tell you where I get closest to it is I've fighting. always had not that's, that's fighting. One, that's yes. one for that's yes, one for fighting, me because yeah. because I mean this is a phenomenon that like I thought was just singularly mm-hmm. to me, but then like I started talking to other people about it and I go like. Yo, so when you fight in a dream, does it feel like you're literally just throwing, like, the softest punches yes. of all time? Yes, Even like, though, like, you think you're like, oh, I'm going to knock this guy out. And then and you, you like, just wind up super hard and you yeah. throw that fist and it just lands, like, so soft on them. They're just like, and yeah. you're like, what's that? And then, like, eventually you get used to it that when that happens in dreams now, I'm like, holy shit. I think this is a dream. Yeah. And then you, I kind of wake up every time I re- have the realization. Yeah. The one I was going to say is ever since I was young, I'll have it. They're not flying dreams, right? Like I'll have them in anything from nightmares to just random dreams where I'll be running and I'll go to jump and I'll jump and I'll like fly up super, super high, like super high. Like I'm flying and then like come back down. Like I'll be able to jump over a whole bl- city blocks. Yeah, right? Like you're in the matrix. <laughs> and, yeah. And, um, and it's been like a re- thing that's happened in my dream since I was young. And nowadays when I, when I have that, like I'll realize in the dream because I'll be doing that. I'm like, Oh wait, this only happens in my dreams. And like, yeah. I'll kind of wake up when I realize that. And that's yeah. about as close to lucid. Yeah. Like that's, that's, I can get. that's about the same for me. I've gotten like to those moments where you realize you're dreaming within the dream 
Um, and, and then I usually just wake up. I never like, you know, oh, I create my own whimsical world of adventure in my dream and I can, you know, change, you know, manifest different structures and it's like Minecraft. No, <laughs> yeah, it never, it never gets that it intense. It never gets really. that intense. It's, it's always like, oh, hey, I'm dreaming. And then I just wake up. Then then I gotta go take a piss. So, yeah, I guess the whole point of this is, is it seems like there's a trend online. What were you gonna say? Have you ever woken up crying? Oh, plenty of times. Yeah, that's, that's a weird one. That's, that's That's always depressing. I've had dreams, even one recently when I was camping the other week, and I've had dreams like where I don't wake up crying, but like it's just an upsetting dream that I have, and I wake up in a bad mood. I wake up like pissed off. I had, I had one in particular where like I, like I watched like my mom die. Jesus. And it was like, and it, and like, like, it's like when you have to wake up and go to church. Yeah. No. And I was like, I was literally, I've had some with, um, my, uh, my grandpa on my father's side mm-hmm. where I'll be in a dream and I'll be like at my grandma's house and I'll see him. But it's almost like, it's almost like he's like kind of just like an automaton. Like he's just like, he's just like this being, but like no one acknowledges his existence there. I'm like, yo, isn't it weird that like, He's here. I he's dead. I watched. I literally, when I was in fifth grade, watched my grandpa be here one second, gone the next. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, it was a very, it was a very. Um, it's probably one of my formidable experiences in life because it really made me question a lot of things. You know, just like question, you know, the nature of reality, coming to terms with my own death. You know, trying to trying to at least at that mm. age, you know, at that age, your brain's not even fully formed, so you can't really contextualize it. But just the idea of leaving leaving Earth was just it frightened me for such a long time. But now, like I said, I'll have dreams where he's there, and then yeah, no one reacts, and it's mm. and it's so eerie, dude. Yeah. It's, it's almost like he is there. Maybe he's reaching out from the great beyond, yeah. whatever well, your great beyond do, is. Reading about astral projection, some people do view dreaming as a light form of astral projection. Yeah. And if you, if you, so like I said, astral projection connects you somewhere between the spirit world, the astral plane is somewhere between the spiritual world and the physical world. All right. So. I guess it is possible for spirits to reach out to the astral plane mm-hmm. and. Some do say that dreaming, and I do believe it to an extent, too, that dreams lead you into an astral projection, an unwitting one, a one that you're not really in control of, that you astral project in many ways in your dreams and enter the astral plane in your dreams where, in a way, you can be connected to other people that wants to be alive through their their astral body in yeah. in the uh in the astral plane you know you, so there's it could a, there, be a connection i've had dreams of my grandfathers too both of them yeah. both dead after their death and and seeing them in my dreams the one i had I, it's not very common for me the one i had of my dad's dad which by the way it's his birthday today he's long dead but happy, happy birthday, birthday bud happy birthday grandpa bud i remember i was having a really tough time uh, i think this was when i was tra- uh 
transferring from De Anza to UCS, you know, I was just having a really tough time with it. I was really stressed and, you know, like I was like needing help, but I was like, you know, too proud to reach out. I don't remember the conversation I had. It was like barely a conversation, but like in it, I'm just like walking somewhere through like a field Mm -hmm. and like, I'm like not paying attention. Then like I look up and like my grandpa was like walking with me. Like, I think he said something to me, but I can't, I can't really remember what. And then like, I woke up and like, in in my dream, I also kind of had that where I said something to him or, like, we kind of exchanged, but I don't remember what I said. It wasn't yeah, anything yeah. like, you know, but it's just, it's weird, you know. There's, uh, I know you didn't, you weren't a particular fan of the album, but Kidsy Ghost, you yeah. know, um, it, that's, that's just kind of, like, what's coming to mind when mm. we're kind of talking about this. Like, you know, as a kid, like, being, like, more imaginative, being more connected to like the world feels magical the world feels like you know i mean whatever you make of it like sometimes kids see ghosts you know i mean it's uh i think there's there's something about that you know like when you're that young and you're not super influenced by the world around you that you're able to maybe connect to some like higher spiritual energy or something like that Mm -hmm. because the like like i i I remember like certain things like as like I remember when I was a kid I had there was at my old place in Pacifica there was this like little crawl space and my aunt she's God rest her soul she um she built it into like this like planet this little mini planetarium really right where she it had like this, it was like this big like orb thing where light would be shown through it. And then basically it would project like stars and stuff like that. And it was basically like this very small crawl space where I had like a pillow and I just lay down and just like look at stars. I'd read books in there. And you know, like I felt like it was like my own magical little corner of the world. You know what I mean? You feel like, and you know, there's something about that. Like when you get older, you kind of get you can you know you get bogged down by bills, student yeah. debt. You get bogged down by the stresses of life. A lot of the cool stuff that you hold on to from child years into preteen and teenage years, like having this great sense of imagination, having this idea that you have some inner power that you can tap into it. Yeah. You get older, you get a little bit more jaded, you get a little bit more salty and bitter and you re- and yeah. all that stuff kind of takes a backseat and you can't tap into it as well. I've noticed no. that where I, well, I felt like when I was younger, I used to tap into a more meditative state, a little easier, a more imaginative state, a little easier and um, be able to experience Mm. things akin to astral projection or quote-unquote reality shifting which is i believe is just a version of trying to tap into some type of meditative day deep daydreaming state you know like i used to be able to tap into that a little easier i still probably could with a lot of like You'd have, to, you'd, have, it, you'd have to be meditating yeah. like regularly for a while. Yeah, maybe. exactly. It's not something that I can tap into as easily these days. So, you know, I started basically, I guess my end point with all this is like, I started looking into this, like kind of scoffing at it and being like, come on, reality shifting. Nobody's reality shifting. And I can still say that you're not no. shifting realities, but it did kind of, you're not, you're not riding around with Draco on a broom, yeah. catching the golden snitch. It and did fucking... kind of bring up these, these other ideas that I always did think was interesting, which is just toying with your consciousness, toying, mm-hmm. whether it's through dreams or through meditative states right. or just basic daydreaming and seeing like how far you can escape and how far, 
far you can tap into something that's otherworldly, something in the astral plane, or just whether it's just in your imagination and that gives you a little bit of solace and a little bit of comfort to envision yourself as someone a little bit more powerful than you, a little bit more magical yeah. than you are, or or tapping into yeah. a, a different con- world. Before you get a boss. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, so astral projection, I do personally believe it is possible through deep meditation. I do believe that dreams are a form of astral projection. I do believe that your conscious can guide you to other places. And I do think that day, deep daydreaming can perhaps bring you into a deep hypnotic state where you could enter but a, i think i think what we're getting at though is that when you get older you kind of get disconnected from that a little bit you, you know can, you can I only mean, re- i've been like you know i looked at at this tiktok trend and like i've been that kid granted tiktok and the internet wasn't as such a mass consuming thing and it wasn't the same place it was when i was you know in my preteen and and early teenage years you know so i got a different experience of it but you know i was there trying to tap into my inner telepathy like you were your inner jedi Mm -hmm. you know or whatever psychic powers you have like sometimes i still to this day think i'm clairvoyant (laughs) yeah you always say that but i disagree but um you're wrong but it's okay that's all right you don't have to believe it i'll (laughs) the visions aren't ever clear yeah sure (laughs) (laughs) all right well man that was a that was something yeah it's some you know embrace those dreams yeah and 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 allow yourself get, get let go a little I bit, had a dream. and maybe you can astral project. I had a dream one time. Awake. I had a dream one time where mm-hmm. I uh, I felt like I was falling. Mm-hmm. I think I've told you this before. I felt like I was falling, and then I had literally fallen out of bed. Oh yeah! <laughs> and you smacked the ground. You yeah, I woke up smacking the ground right on my face. <laughs> that was your spirit got a little too got a little too far gone from your physical. But it body. felt like I was falling for like ever. Oh yeah. It felt like I was falling forever. Well, your 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 astral body probably fell through the astral plane back into your physical body, yeah. hence then knocking you off the bed. Yeah, let's go smoke a bowl. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, that's gonna do it. So for, yeah, I wanna ask yeah, you yeah, or, or, after I've explained this to you, are you cut, gonna wait, wait, try wait. cut. Go on. I wanna ask you, because after explaining this, are you now going to try an um ash or reality shift into an anime world? Maybe Naruto. That is, people okay. do believe that. <laughs> Maybe Naruto, but that's Maybe it. Naruto, that's yeah. fine. That's fine. I Your reality shift. I yeah. believe it. Believe it. Envision it. But, script it. Write it down. But, you know, funny You'll en- get Funny there. enough, believe it. Naruto's catchphrase. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> I see it's a sign. Yeah, it's a Clairvoyance sign. Clairvoyance right. right there. Well, I'm going go real- to go reality shift into the Naruto-verse. Yeah. Zach's going to go reality shift into one where he's maybe a little bit more happy. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. With hard work and dedication. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> thanks for listening, guys. Take it easy. And, uh, you know, hey, uh, if you guys, if, if um, I'm going to open it up, uh, I'll link it in um, all the bios, but if uh, you want to send any mail, if there's yeah. anybody out there and they want to just send some mail, my uh, the email is bashbrospod 
at protonmail.com. So, uh, and if you want to leave any reviews, whether they're good or bad, on the platform that you are listening on, yeah. please tell feel us free. that we're terrible. Trust me, Zach questions. is looking for the hate mail. Yeah, He's been he, mail. he can't stop bringing up how much he wants hate mail. So, if you questions, don't like it, then tell us why you don't like it. A little bit more listener engagement would be fun. Yeah, but you know that comes that comes that, that comes with time. But yeah, I just want to put that out there. If you want to email again, it's Bash Bros Pod at protonmail.com. Yeah. We'd appreciate any reviews. Yeah. And um yeah. thank you for listening as take, always. Take it easy and uh keep dreaming out there. Good luck. Kids see go sometimes. Kids see go sometimes. Kids see go sometimes. Spirit. Just moving around, kids see ghosts sometimes. Kids see ghosts sometimes. Kids see ghosts, spirit. Yeah, that's the king. Start that movement. Start that movement. Y'all can move me. This my movie. Y'all can stop me. Y'all too sloppy. Carbon copy. Carbon. Same thing in a room, sitting by myself, finding heaven soon. Many things that would trouble you. Look beyond for a feeling like you never knew. Reaching out, hunting for the truth. I'm guessing I'm just sick of running. All this time searching hard for something. I can hear the angels coming.